Hello and welcome to episode 27 of the Pi Podcast, the show by members of the Raspberry Pi community for the Raspberry Pi community. I'm Joe. And I'm Alarid. And coming up, we've got an interview with Martin O'Hanlon about programming and Minecraft and all things Pi. So stay tuned for that. But first, let's do the news. And the first piece of news is uh, you can now do Netflix on your Raspberry Pi. Yeah, this is a very interesting forum post on the Ubuntu Mate site in the Raspberry Pi section that basically details how to install the relevant things you need in Chromium to get Netflix working. And apparently you can get 720p video working, which is um, very impressive if it's smooth playback. Now, it's not something I've tried because I don't actually have a Netflix account, but if I did, then I'd certainly be looking at this because I've been um, using the Pi for Cody and that's been working really well. So yeah, if, you, if you're into Netflix, then this is uh, potentially a very good way to, to do it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm like you. We don't have uh, Netflix. We went down the Amazon Prime route, which is great because then we got Mr. Robot. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, looking at it, you have to enable the OpenGL drivers. And from my experience with those, they're, they're very good. I think they're still considered experimental, but they're very solid. Um, and 720p, absolutely brilliant. I know, um, when, um, Martin Wimpress was doing the latest version of Mate for the Raspberry Pi. He had some great success in getting the video working as well as, uh, OpenGL support. So I'd be very intrigued to figure out whether this is something to do with tweaks that, uh, Ubuntu Mate has on the Raspberry Pi or whether this would work on Raspbian with, uh, Chromium installed. Yeah. If anyone's tried it, do let us know. So all the way back on episode two of the show, we spoke to Mike and Tim who run Pi Wars, and Mike emailed us this week to tell us that Pi Wars 2017 is actually going to be a two-day event because it's been so popular. So many people are interested in competing that they've had to now do it over two days. Yeah, this this is amazing. I mean, previously Pi Wars was in December, so they moved it out to April on purpose to give schools a better chance of getting involved, and it looks like the schools have uh, come a-calling. Yeah, so it's going to be Saturday the 1st and Sunday the 2nd of April. Yeah, and I think the the rough plan is that Saturday will be the school's day and Sunday will be the, the hobbyist day. So uh, I haven't got any information yet on whether the competitions are going to be different, so the challenges, or whether it's going to be the same challenges on both days. But I like the idea that schools will be competing against schools rather than hobbyists because, well, the skill and experience can be very different. Yeah, so, um, yeah, stay tuned for that, but put it in the diary anyway, um, the 1st and 2nd of April 2017. Fantastic. And then just a a little note, the the Raspberry Pi weather station, they released a uh, frequently asked questions, a fact on it, to give you more details. This is the thing they did in collaboration with uh, Oracle that was sent out to the schools. Yeah, nearly a thousand schools uh, all around the world. Yeah, it's brilliant. I think it's programmed in Java as well. So, again, another resource in another programming language for another system. So, kind of spreading... The educational capability. Yeah, and it's a shame you can't actually buy them, that that's it. Um, but you can kind of cobble something together that's almost the same, can't you? Yeah, I think a lot of the sensors in there are fairly standard. So it's just the interfacing that's a good thing to watch out for. Um, so yeah, but I think if you're, if you're interested in building a weather station, then this is a good place to start. There's also, I believe, a PA consulting winner that was called AirPi a while back that was, uh, again, uh, a kind of an atmospheric uh, monitoring system that could be worth looking at as well. So we'll put a uh, link to AirPi in the notes as well. 
Yeah, so the next one then, you have put in the notes uh, a link to a tweet by Philip Colligan, who is the CEO of the Raspberry Pi Foundation, and it's a photo of a classroom by the looks of things. I think it's in their, their offices. So what it looks like is they're bringing people in to, well, tell them what they're looking for from the Raspberry Pi Foundation. I think this feeds back uh, from Oliver's work, where he's saying they're doing more outreach and trying to figure out this digital maker thing rather than just pure education. Um, so I saw some tweets where various people from the community are traveling to Cambridge and kind of, you know, groups of them, I'm presuming Raspberry Pi related. And then this tweet specifically caught my eye because it had a whole bunch of people um, in what I'm expecting is the offices where they're trying to find out what to do going forward. So I, I love the fact they're asking the community. So getting advice, getting guidance rather than trying to decide themselves. And, you know, hopefully in this way, it'll be better. Yeah. And as Oliver mentioned, there's a kind of a slight shift in focus towards the makers as well as educators. Yeah, exactly. So I think this is part of it. So we'll, we'll see. I think we'll see more of that. Yeah, it certainly looks that way. And then again, uh, speaking of Oliver, he mentioned that the, um, they were going to be updating the site soon so you can get details on the team. And it's even more people on there than I expected because it's got the foundation, trading and the code club people on there as well. Yeah, it just goes to show quite how many people are involved. It's uh, amazing, isn't it? I was scrolling for what felt like forever. <laughs> There's a good few people there. My my main entertainment was you can check to see which ones have a, a GitHub repository. Oh, yeah. So you can see some of the projects that they've been working on. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's it's good. It's got who they are, a bit of background information, and then just some more details on some of them as well. So, yeah, it, it's looking like a, a, they're getting a, a good team together. Yeah, so back on episode six, we spoke to Sam Nazarko of OSMC, and there's been something of an update for that project. Yeah, Sam, I was on to Sam about something different, and uh, he was telling me that um, it, it, it looks as if all has been relatively quiet in the last while, but actually he's been crazy busy. Um, the, <laughs> as he put it, the kind of, the project out, out, grew the scale they were operating at. So we've had to redo the whole build environment to make it work better going forward. And a couple of the things that he's doing is um, they're hoping to have a PC build, so dual boot type setup, so you can have a dedicated media center, which would be fantastic. And also, if you're used to working with OSMC, there's a, a My OSMC uh, section in it. And so they're going to enhance that to give you more control over your Raspberry Pi from within OSMC itself, rather than have to drop out to a command prompt to do things. And one of the areas I saw was um, they're going to add support for hats in there. Which I find very strange. Why would you want hats in OSMC? Well, this is the thing. The one that I came I could think of initially was, you, you know, these ambilights, the Philips ambilights behind the monitors. Oh, yeah. Well, imagine a hat that would give you that. Imagine a, you plug, just plug a hat on. I exist. Install the software. Add your strip of lights and your light sensor. Happy days. You're done. Okay. I mean, that alone would be, would be a good project to have. Yeah, I don't, to me, it just seems a bit like we've got Raspbian for that. Why? Well, I suppose it, the lights, you might want to have, um, you know, in conjunction with the, the whatever you're watching. But it, it seems to be OSMC is more kind of, you know, focused on media consumption rather than the making side of things, which is where the hats come in. So that that's why I was surprised. But I suppose um, it can't hurt to have that support. 
Yeah, I think I think it'll enable creativity. I I'm not sure in my brain if many of the current hats would have a direct use, but the hat specification where all the pins are pre-configured automatically when you plug the board in could be useful for people who want to run media centers because you know if you're running a media server it doesn't mean you're technical yeah you know you it's a different audience you may not be programming on the raspberry pi you might just be using it as a media center and if a, a hat spec board comes out that has some media functionality then it would be great just to plug it in from my OSMC, bring down the app or the uh, the code that's needed to make it operate, and then it just runs rather than having to go technical on it. Right, yeah, you see, I hadn't thought about that. I'd pictured the kind of existing hats, but yeah, if you're talking about future hats, then yeah, maybe this will uh, allow some creativity there, yeah. Yeah, and Sam, uh, in the interview, mentioned the App Store, and there's a, there's a few things in there. I know I downloaded the uh, DLNA server on mine. So uh, my <laughs> while we're sitting here recording, my children are downstairs watching a movie off the uh, the Raspberry Pi, but through the Blu-ray player rather than through the, the OSMC desktop. So they're at the point now where the, the App Store should be released soon. And again, if you think about it, with hat support and an App Store, third-party developers can come up with ideas and make them available through OSMC. Yeah, sounds good. Definitely one to watch. So that'll do it for the news then. Let's move on to the interview. We are now joined by Martin O'Hanlon, who is co-author of Adventures in Minecraft, Pi Academy trainer, professional geek and amateur snowboarder. So welcome, Martin. Hi, guys. So um, apart from that big list of stuff, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself, please? Uh, yeah, sure. So um, where to start? So um, I have a proper job, believe it or not. Uh, so I, uh, uh, I work for a, a, a fairly sizable international sort of insurance and home assistance company. Uh, and I do, uh, IT design and strategy for them. Uh, but alongside, alongside that, I've been really lucky, lucky and really fortunate enough to, uh, be involved in some really great, um, projects outside of work, you know, most of which involving Raspberry Pi or Minecraft or normally both. Yeah. Um, and as a result of that, I've also kind of, um, been, been supporting the Raspberry Pi Foundation with their education mission, uh, particularly, um, helping to run their Pi Academy courses. So before we get into the Raspberry Pi and stuff, I, I need you to answer some questions for me. And that would be, what is the appeal of Minecraft? Cause I've never played it, but yet I see everyone is addicted to it. What is it that I'm missing? So I think. First of all, I would challenge anybody who's never played Minecraft uh, to play the full fat version or the console version. Play it on survival uh, for one day-night sequence, yeah, um, and not think, I've just got to make my house a bit better. Yeah, that's the challenge I would give to anybody who's never played it. I think if you play it for one day-night sequence, which is about 20 minutes, something like that, um, you will suddenly find this appeal of, oh my god, I've survived the night. I have to make my house a bit better. It's the creative aspect of it, isn't it? That's so appealing. Yeah, most definitely. You know, it's that, it's that, it's that fact that you arrive in this world, yeah, with nothing and you can make it whatever you want. That was what, what appealed to me to it. Um, I'm trying to remember the year it was probably, oh, I'm going to guess 
2009-ish, maybe, maybe even earlier. I'm not sure when the alphas of Minecraft came out. But, um, I had a conversation with a friend of mine. Um, he's a an, an artist for a games company. And we had a conversation one night about... Um, we're going to have to explain that there was drinking going on. Uh, <laughs> uh, and we had a conversation about square moons, to which my response was, you don't get square moons. And he says, you do in Minecraft. And I thought, I've got to have a look at that. <laughs> um, and uh, it suddenly appealed me the fact that, you know, hang on, I, I can do anything. You know, I, I, can change, I can change this world and this world in a way that uh, nobody else has ever thought of before. And that really appealed to me. You know, there's no fixed pattern here. There was no kind of agenda, you know. Somebody went, well, you know, your only job here really is to kind of like not get killed. And the best way of not getting killed is to kind of make stuff that helps you not getting killed. Just really appealed. <laughs> so so after you survived not getting killed, uh, after several day-night sequences, at what point, what happened that made you want to write a book? There's been many things I'd like to write a book on, but you took that initiative, and I admire you about that, to go do that. So what happened that you were like, I have to write a book about this? So the story behind that was, so if I, if I kind of backtrack a little bit, so uh, when Minecraft came out on the pie, I was kind of really enthused about it because um, one of the one of the deficiencies I saw certainly 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 at the time uh, for for kind of Minecraft was that it was still very closed. It's much more open now, and there's much more kind of APIs and ways of hooking into it now. But it was much more closed at that time. And when the Pi Edition came, Minecraft Pi Edition came out, that simple hook of there is an API that you can call and change this thing in real time. That really appealed to me because I suddenly thought, wow, all the stuff that I can't do when I'm playing the game, even though it is so open, all the stuff that I can't do, I wonder if I could code that. I wonder if I could make that better. Um, So when the Pi Edition came out, I just started doing fun things. I'm a big fan of projects where you basically start off with an idea and go, well, okay, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make a game in Minecraft. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Do you remember the the, uh, 1994 Snake version that came on Nokia mobile phones? I'm going to make that in Minecraft. Yeah. Um, And, and, you know, if I took that further on, I'd be going, well, then then make that in Minecraft that actually moves the snake in the real world. Yeah. I'm a big fan of kind of taking things to their extreme. And that that was kind of what I started doing uh, with Minecraft on the Pi. Was I, you know, I I I, I wrote a game called Snake. Um, I wrote uh, a little program that um, made a huge clock, a big analog clock, so a big circle in the sky with some hands that kind of tick 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 round. My wife at the time called it the useless clock. Um, <laughs> I felt so justified when it was featured on the Raspberry Pi blog to go, "Hi, wife, Mrs. O'Hanlon, check this out," and she went. Well, it's the useless clock. All that means is, is that everybody else is as useless as you are. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but but that that was what appealed to me was was the, the fact that you could code it in a relatively simple way to kind of make some fun stuff. And I just made lots of silly things. So I made cannons, uh, and I I made lots and lots of different type types of games. Um, and I actually got involved with writing adventures in Minecraft because of David Whale, uh, my co-author. So uh, David had been the tech editor on um, Adventures in Raspberry Pi uh, that Carrie Ann Philbin wrote. Um, and David approached me and said, um, Martin, would you be interested in writing a book? And at that point, I thought, do you know what? There is 
absolutely no way an hour ago I'd have thought I'd have ever written a book. That sounds like a great idea. It just felt so um, alien to me that it was exciting. Uh, and I thought, um, I have a slightly annoying habit where I, I generally think anything is possible regardless of my ability to do it or not. <laughs> and uh, that was how Adventures in Minecraft started. Uh, David Whale approached me, mainly because of the, well, let's face it, the slightly odd, slightly kooky projects that I'd created uh, in in Minecraft on, on the Pi um, and that I put put on my blog. David came to me and said, do you fancy... Um, Teaming up and seeing and write and writing this book together. What's been the uh, overall reaction to the book? Um, it's been really positive. Um, so there are there are, are a couple of things that I'm really proud of. Um, I'm really proud of the fact that actually Adventures in Minecraft is a book to teach kids how to program. You know, it's targeted at that kind of 10 to 15, 11 to 15, 11 to 16 range, something like that. Um, and actually, it's a good book that teaches you how to code. But it's almost entirely by stealth. <laughs> um, myself and David were really lucky. We 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 were invited to uh, the Wayward Literary Festival, and um, we did a talk. And I opened up this talk by saying, "This book isn't really a book about Minecraft." Of which the entire crowd of like uh, about two hundred children just sighed and went, "Oh, I thought we were here to <laughs> learn about Minecraft." Yeah, but don't worry, we'll we'll do that as well. Yeah. But actually, it's a book about programming. So that, that's the bit that I really like. I really like the fact that it is a good book to teach kids how to program. Uh, and the reaction, I think, has been been really positive. Um, I think the reason that I like it is that it starts off really simple. But every adventure or every chapter has a goal. And the goal's always something really cool. So the goal's like, you know, the ability to teleport your player anywhere in the world. You know, the goal's the ability to create uh, pyramids that are far, far bigger than you could ever create um, in the real, real world. The goal is adding LEDs and buttons to your code to make real things happen when you physically press a button. Um, that's what I really like about it. Uh, and I think people uh, get that get that reaction that you can just do a, you know, do a little bit and get a great result and then do a little bit more and get another great result. Um, and it gets four and a half stars on Amazon. Not to be sniffed at. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So did that lead into becoming the Pi Academy instructor? Uh, oh, that is an interesting question. I'm not sure of the timing. Uh, I'm going to guess that I was probably doing them at about the same time. So Pi Academy had been running for about three months well, they've certainly done their third cohort. Uh, and I joined the team on the fourth. And I joined the team mainly because I think they were, you know, uh, wanted to uh, do do some my Minecraft content. Um, and I had, you know, spent a long time either, you know, creating uh, creating projects or talking at, uh, at Raspberry Jams or doing workshops at places like PyCon. And I just kind of made it, made a name, name for myself as, you know, um, Minecraft Martin, for want of a better word. So yeah, I was approached by, um, uh, Carrie Ann and she said, would you like to come and, come and, come and join our team? Uh, and, um, it kind of rolled on from that really. So I tried to count out how many power academies I have delivered and it's about 15 ish, something like that, 14, 15. Um, I think now in terms of kind of, um, 
Raspberry Pi certified educators, which is what you become uh, if you attend Pi Academy, you become a Raspberry Pi certified educator. I, we've got to be pushing 800, I'd, I'd have thought, something like that. Um, and it's a fantastic course. I mean, it's, it is the most fun I have at work. So are you, you're teaching them, I, I take it, Minecraft on the Raspberry Pi at the Pi Academy? Yeah, so um, so 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 Pi Academy is kind of um, um, split into sort of two halves. So we 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 have uh, it's a two day event. So we have one day which is all about workshops, um, and one day which is all about kind of hacking, really, and kind of creating something, cementing that learning. Um, so you know, my job is to be a kind of Pi Academy trainer. I tend to lead uh, the Minecraft workshops. Although the last Pi Academy I did, I, I was I was I was was really happy that. Uh, Sarah Zaman had uh, had had been leading uh, the Minecraft workshop and wanted to run it again, uh, which was great for me because uh, I get really excited when other people want to be involved. And then the kind of second day is is that uh, we have a, a hack day uh, and we create all sorts of crazy projects. Are you noticing that the people coming into Pi Academy, do they already know about Minecraft and how to take off into it? Or are you doing a lot of, uh, you have to teach them from the ground up running, or do you immediately just be able to take them right to the workshops? Uh, it's a real mixture. It's a real mixture. You, you know, uh, we do we, we do start off that um, that Minecraft workshop with, right, you're going to have to learn a new skill. Yeah. Uh, you're going to have to learn how to use the keyboard with your left hand and the mouse, and the mouse with the right. Uh, you know, the mouse moves your head. The keyboard moves where you stand. Um, we start right at the start, you know. Uh, it's a real mixture, but um, kind of one of the one of the intros I, I I kind of always do is is you know kind of like okay, who's heard of Minecraft? Thank you. All the hands go up. Okay, leave your hand up. You know, uh, leave your hand up if um, you have a child that you educate that plays that plays Minecraft. And again, all the hands stay up. And I go, okay, well, you know, leave your hand up if you've played it. And about 70% of the hands go down. And then, you know, leave your hand up if you've ever coded Minecraft. And again, you know, another half half of those go down. Um, and I think it's just kind of really interesting that, you know, it is so ubiquitous amongst young people as a game and as a kind of platform. Um, and quite often educators have never had a go themselves, even if it's just to play the game. And for somebody who's kind of naturally very curious, I find that quite strange. I love that you're making Minecraft uncool by teaching older people Minecraft. So yes. thank you. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I count myself among the older people. <laughs> Do you plan to write any more books in the future? I mean, beyond Minecraft. I mean, that's that seems to be your bread and butter, but is there more with the Raspberry Pi you'd like to talk about with uh, your books or anything? Or do you even plan to write more? Or are you done writing books after this one? <laughs> I would love to write another book. Uh, I think it's about finding the time and about finding um, uh, the right subject. Um, do you know the magpies? Do you know the kind of little books for the magpie? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, I've written one of them. Oh, excellent. Any idea when we're going to see that then? No. <laughs> which, is why, <laughs> which is why I'm being really vague. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so uh, Russell, Russell Barnes, the, the managing editor of Magpie, has got all that content. Uh, he just needs to, um, you know... Uh, work is magic on it, I suppose, is the best way to put it. Oh, okay, excellent. So time's running away a little bit, but I wanted to ask you about Mind Test. Um, that's uh, you, you mentioned how Minecraft is somewhat open APIs-wise, but it's obviously not open source, it's proprietary, whereas Mind Test is 
some people call it the open source version of Minecraft. Um, they're very careful on the website to not say anything about Minecraft. They just call it a voxel game or whatever. But I mean, how does that compare? And and is that has that got any potential um, in the classroom? And and do, you know, is it similar features wise? So my mind test is um, great alternative to Minecraft. Um, you know, if you're looking for a limited function set, so. I've spoken to and I've worked with a lot of kind of people in uh, kind of Minecraft in, in education and actually people use Minecraft in education loads, you know, uh, to reenact history, you know, so creating Rome as it was or, um, and Mindtest is a, is a really great project. One of the things that I like about Mindtest is, is that it has a really open API attached to it and it's actually, it's really easy to mod, um, Right up until the point you realize you have to mod it using Lua, which is a, uh, the Lua community will hate me for saying this, but a kind of C based scripting language. Um, what, one of the things that is really interesting for mind test though is, is that it does run on the Pi, certainly the Pi 2 and the Pi 3 really well, is that, um, somebody has created a mod for mind test, which emulates the same API that you get with Minecraft Pi edition. So all the same kind of Python programs that you wrote for Minecraft Pi, you can run on Mindtest as well. Uh, it's called the Raspberry Jam mod. Um, it's written by a guy called Alex Pruce. Um, but yeah, that's, so there, there, there is actually a, um, a Mindtest mod that allows it to use the same API that you get with Minecraft Pi Edition. So that's kind of really good fun. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's a great project and I, I hope it continues, I really do. But it's not quite there uh, in terms of feature parity. It's not quite there. As you know, if you want to sit down and play the game, you know, for the sake of playing a game, you know, I don't think Mind Test is quite there. You know, um, you know, if you were to if you were to give Mind Test to my seven year old lad, the first thing you would say is, uh, "Where are the horses?" <laughs> um, so yeah, it's not feature rich, yeah, uh, but it's a great alternative to the Pi edition. Really is. So, Martin, we talked about earlier that you're an amateur snowboarder. Tell us and all of our listeners, what is the sickest thing you've done on a snowboard? <laughs> Do you know what? I'm going to proper nerd it up now. The sickest thing I've done on a snowboard uh, is uh, strap an original Model A into my backpack, put a helmet on the camera, put a GPS unit on my shoulder, and filmed from my point of view overlaying a real-time map built up using the GPS coordinates that I cre- that I received. That is the sickest thing I've ever done on a snowboard. So no no 720s then. <laughs> 720s no maybe maybe 540s. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, maybe in my younger days when when when, when I was a bit more supple. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, at least you properly nerded it up with a Raspberry Pi. So uh yeah, time gets away from us, so we better wrap this up, but if people want to find out more about you, uh, where's the best place for them to have a look? Uh, so you can follow me on Twitter. You can find me at really simple at Martin O'Hanlon. Um, also, uh, I write a blog. I have done for a very long time, time called Stuff About Code. And that's just stuffaboutcode.com. Okay, great. Yeah, well, I'll put some links to those in the show notes. Um, yeah, it's been great talking to you and hopefully speak to you again at some point. Thanks, guys. It's been brilliant talking to you too. I love that interview with Martin. Uh, it- <laughs> 
<laughs> it, it sounds like his wife treats his uh, his work with electronics the same way as mine. So he had his uh, his useless clock, and then you know when other people appreciated her comment was they're useless too. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a bit like my wife on the podcast. In to be honest, <laughs> you show this amazing thing that you're so proud of, and it's like no. My, yeah. my wife's phrase is physics. If I if I go off on one and go all techie on her, she just says the word physics. It's like, you know, okay, yeah, you, you've gone too far. I don't care anymore. Yeah. Let's, let's get back to reality rather than the, the microcosm that is your tech world. Um, but it was good to hear again, you know, Adventures in Minecraft. I have a copy of it. Um, I've gone through a bit of it, some of the early projects, which, because I know a bit of Python wasn't too crazy, but my goal is to use it personally. And I, I'm not between the ages of nine and 15 to <laughs> learn to program correctly in Python because I keep coming across situations where I get it wrong. And this sounds like a much more entertaining way to do it. So that's, that's definitely one of my projects. And then 15 Pi Academies. He's making a difference even just there. Yeah. And the, the Minecraft thing, I mean, so many kids are into it that because you can do this programming, it's it's kind of a way to get them into programming almost, I wouldn't say to trick them, the kids into programming, but certainly to entice them. Oh, I, I'm happy to trick them. <laughs> I'm happy for it to be a trick. Um, at the, Cam at the not Cambridge, at the Wimbledon Jam, um, Hannah Mills ran a Minecraft workshop and it was oversubscribed. We literally had two to three kids on each computer because there was just too many wanted to do it and we didn't want to turn them away. So hugely popular and, and you know what? great fun. That's the thing they can, they can do with very little code. They can do things that are great fun for them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, hopefully we might speak to Hannah at some point in the future. You never know. But with that, we're coming to the end of another Pi podcast. If you want to get in contact, you can email show at thepipodcast.com or you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, or leave a comment on the website. Thanks for joining me, Albert, and thanks to everyone for listening. We'll see you again in two weeks with more Raspberry Pi news, interviews, and discussion. Take care. See you later.